to Ouija Broads. This is Devin. This is Liz. Liz, today I have a an animal to tell you about. Of course I have an animal to tell you about. My favorite. Your favorite. It's my favorite. This one isn't a cryptid. It's actually a very common animal. It's an animal that's special for a lot of different reasons, though. And one of the reasons I want to share with you is it's a reason that made me learn a new word, which is sinanthrope. Sinanthrope. Um, sinanthrope. A sinanthrope. Sin- an undomesticated plant or animal that lives in close association with humans and actually oh. benefits from human habitats and activities. Oh, so undomesticated, mm-hmm. but kind of rides the coattails. Totally. Okay. Yeah. Give me an example. Oh, seagulls. Yes. Very good. Uh, I think vultures do that. They're my favorite bird, as we know. Yes, you um, love your vultures. Um, another rats, probably. Rats. Although there are some domestic rats, but yeah. not you know your standard Norwegian brown that's all over the place. Yeah. and mice, and yeah. I think a lot of things that could eat our food but don't want to be petted. <laughs> <laughs> so me, <laughs> yeah, I am a synanthrope. Um, raccoons. The one I'm talking about, which you know, of course, is the American crow. Crows! Crows! We're going to talk about crows! 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 crows. Everybody! (laughs) I also learned in in barely scratching the surface of something that I have a ton of books as continued reading to share with everyone after, you know, at the end of this episode or in the show notes. So many books. If you care at all about crows, you're going to want to read each and every one of these. Um, but uh, I barely scratched the surface, of course, of all the amazing research there is about why crows are cool, why why they're worthy of this podcast, why they... Yeah, I was going to say, I see crows every day, Devin. You see crows I can't say that for a day. stellar sea ape or no. Sasquatch. No, but this is definitely an example where I don't think commonness equals boring. Dude, they have a lot of really unique traits, both by bird and human standards and then seattle in particular has been called the corvid capital of the world so okay i was gonna ask are they now they may be weird but are they pacific northwest weird? oh absolutely they're pacific northwest weird and on the pacific coast if you want to get as pacific northwest as it gets there's actually a distinct well is it a subspecies or is it um a tangential species it's called the northwestern crow and i guess Corvid researchers and ornithologists can't decide, is it a subspecies of the American crow or is it its own thing? What they hmm. what they do agree on is that the Northwestern crow is effectively the same animal. It's just that it's a little bit smaller. Okay. But for all intents and purposes, we're talking about the same damn animal, the American yeah. crow. And when I talk about it being strange or at least unique by bird and human standards and seattle being the corvid capital of the world i think those are two things that put it squarely within the realm of this podcast Mm -hmm. and i want to tell you kind of about crows in general briefly but then i'll tell you the specifically seattle crow stories that i found that i think are hilarious or wonderful for one reason or the other when can I tell people about my bird? Okay, well, that's what Linda Lynn Haupt says in Crow Planet, which is a book everyone needs to read. And she says, everyone has a crow story. 
<laughs> which, Whoa. which means, you know, of course, everyone has seen a crow do something weird or unusual or funny or surprising to them. And if you ask people, they almost always have something to tell you. So I want you to tell me about your bird. Oh, whoa. We better add that to the list of conversational topics you can always get people to talk about. Oh, my God. Well, so we obtained a chicken. Uh Uh-huh. Her name is Small Silk, Mm -hmm. because Lydia named her. She's a silky. She's black. She was, and she's uh, black silky, so she is the cryptid of chickens. (laughs) She has black skin, black blood, black bones. I'm not sure about (gasps) the blood, actually, but certainly black bones. Are you serious about that? Yes, they're the gothest punk chickens. Oh, I yeah. hate it. I'm sorry. I really <laughs> like black. No, thank you, though. Yes, they are hyper-melanistic. Ugh, which, see, goes into the stuff mm. we talked about before, about melanistic cougars yeah. and stuff. Silkies are a melanistic, domesticated breed of chicken. Okay. They don't have those kind of barbs in their feathers, so they're very floofy mm-hmm. and very fluffy and ridiculous looking. They look like a Muppet or maybe a dust mop <laughs> of some kind. And because she was getting picked on in her last flock, she doesn't have any tail feathers or wing feathers, so she looks like one of those, you know those like Muppet fur marionettes that you can buy yeah. at the fair? That are like, oh, <laughs> they yeah. just got like two legs and a head. Two legs and a head. That's what she looks like. Oh my god, she does. <laughs> But why I bring her up she does. is how we ended up with her is down the street, a neighbor moved in with chickens. Mm-hmm. Lydia became obsessed with chickens. Of we ended up with this chicken. And I like to go out there in the mornings with my coffee, open up the run, let her, you know, run around the backyard and eat bugs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And every morning, as far as I can tell, there are the neighborhood crows and they will land on two pine trees that are on the next block and right by our house mm-hmm. and they will crow at each other they will caw 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 and then one from farther away will caw 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 as they listen yeah and then they'll caw 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 and then all the chickens on the block go <laughs> so apparently there's some kind of news information system yeah some kind of crow to crow broadcast yeah. And the chickens are in on it. And the chickens are in on it. They absolutely are. Wait, yeah. wait until spring because chickadees are considered in birds a neighborhood alarm call. And, you know, Ooh. chickadees have that chickadee dee 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 dee. The, yeah. The number. That was good. Thank you. I, I've been practicing. Uh, the number of D's indicates the threat level of the creature they're looking at, and other animals, including crows, know how to decipher this language. So other birds are able to listen in on chickadee conversations in order to figure out what's going on in their neighborhood that maybe they didn't see. Isn't that wonderful? That is so awesome. Yeah. I see. I think I was learning it. If I was sitting there with a tape recorder, I could figure it yep. out. Because one time, I realized they were all talking about the garbage truck. Oh. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like oh. Everybody's tuned into this because it's loud and it's disruptive and sometimes it drops food. It, yeah, exactly. It makes a lot of sense. And I'm learning to speak chicken. Okay. So there's... The noise you make when you just kind of go around doing things. You're just saying chicken, chicken, chicken to yourself over and over so you don't forget that you're a chicken. She's so fucking dumb. She's so She got distracted today and got mad because she couldn't find her food and went to look for it and stepped in it and knocked it over. 
They're just, it's amazing. There's a really loud, that means that mean? I made an egg. Okay. <laughs> I'm proud of There's, that means I'm enjoying my dust bath. And then she has kind of a, which means, hello, everybody. Hello. Oh. Hello. Welcome to my backyard. Oh. That's, <laughs> so that's what she good. says as she runs up to us to see us. I'm like, oh, okay. That's so I want to be the Jane Goodall of crows. I think I oh, you revised could be. my life plan. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to be chickens or crows, though? You're into this crow I think idea? crows, because okay. if I could pick up chicken in, like, a week or yeah, two. Yeah, you could. Yeah. No. Or maybe I'll do, like, a Dr. Doolittle thing. And I'll learn chicken really well, and then the chicken will teach me how to yep. speak crow. Because uh, yeah. clearly, based on like the you know caw caw, wait, listen, caw caw, yeah. all the chickens, hooray! Yeah, exactly. I think I think they can talk to each other. I think so. <laughs> I think you're right. No, this is absolutely learning French from a guy who speaks Spanish, and you speak Spanish. Yeah. This is perfect. This will go well. It's going to go great. I'm into it, and I can't wait for the tell-all memoir. You're- do you have a Do you have a crow story? I do have a crow story. My favorite, I'll tell you two, short one and a long one. The short one was hilarious. And this is one of the first reasons why I started reading books like Crow Planet and Gifts of the Crow and got really into them was when I was walking to work on the UW campus. UW features heavily in this episode, by the way. So go Huskies. Uh, Okay. Walking to work. And I watched a crow in the U District walking, you know, kind of hopping along on the road, and he tripped over a stick. And he was with a group of other crows, and he turned around. (laughs) I'm sure he was embarrassed under these feathers. He was blushing. But he turned around, and he went, at the stick. (laughs) (laughs) He picked it up with his beak and flung it aside. (laughs) Big move. Big move. (laughs) 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 Did it to himself. And then yeet. And then yeeted the stick. He was very millennial. Uh, that was not even because he didn't. He didn't need to do that. No, he did not he need to do that. Could have just moved on. Yeah, he could have got on with his He's day. Mad. Yeah, he was pissed. You know, in my heart, he was moving it so his crow buddies didn't trip on it. But I know for a fact <laughs> he was just pissed, and his little crow brain was like, "Well, I'll show you. Ain't gonna trip me <laughs> twice." There. My second favorite crow story, which is actually probably my favorite crow story, but it's not the one that really got me on this kick. You know, really observing crows mm-hmm. was. Jason and I were with my mom at U Village, also in the U District in Seattle, and we were over by Anthropology. U Village, if y'all want to know, is white people mecca. It is full of (laughs) nothing but rich white ladies who all park for shit. And so they've got really expensive cars, and it's also close to a McDonald's, and lo and behold, this crow had either dug a McDonald's bag out of the trash or had... uh, you know, flown with it from McDonald's to white lady Mecca. And he had this bag on the hood of somebody's white Audi. And so Jason and I stop outside anthropology and are like, okay, well, let's see what he's doing. He pulls out a half eaten hamburger in the wrapper. Somebody threw away like a lot of food and we watched him. He unwrapped it with his beak You know, he stands on the parts of the wrapper to make sure it lays flat, flips open the the lid. What do you call it? The hamburger bun. Flips open the hamburger bun, picks off the two pickles, throws them on the hood of the car, puts the hamburger bun back on the burger, and flies away with the whole fucker in its mouth. 
That fucker knew to look for pickles. This wasn't his first rodeo. No, he knew. He doesn't like them. He doesn't like them. And some schmuck came back to their white Audi and was like, the fucker two pickles doing on my hood. You know? (laughs) (laughs) It's a message. Come back from Pottery Barn or whatever with their faux fur throw and just like wonder where these pickles came. And we were not there to say from an angel, you know, from from heaven. Yeah. But I just that loved it. That means the crow is also smarter than some people I served when I worked at McDonald's. <laughs> who, when dining in, would come back and say, there's pickles on this. Mm-hmm. And I said, would you like me to take them off or remake it? And they're like, I guess we can just take them off. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say, like, if pickle juice ruined your meal, you have to just, right. you know, do right. it yourself. But if right. you're that agnostic, yeah. I'm not sure where I come in. <laughs> you're just a witness, Liz, but a witness yeah. to their agnosticism. I need to know that I was wrong. Me, who personally yeah. went and put pickles on there yeah. for them. Yeah. Yeah. Also, why would you not like pickles? Why would you not like pickles? Thank you very much. My husband doesn't like them, and I remind him every time he mentions that fact that I could easily find a second husband. <laughs> I can keep can looking. Crow. I can find a crow. Well, the crow well, doesn't like he pickles. He doesn't like pickles. Is your husband secretly a crow? You know, he was looking a little molty the other day. Mm. I wonder if he isn't. Well, he could gotta, be. Like, my husband's a smart guy. No getting around it. You know, he's an astrophysicist who's now an engineer. But crows might even be more smart than he is. That's one of the things that makes them so weird is they're incredibly intelligent. And not just not just intelligent smarts. Um, it's Jennifer Ackerman in The Genius of Birds. She suggests we shouldn't use smart or intelligent exclusively when talking about aptitude in birds and other animals because they have different ways of being good at something. They have different types of genius. So that's why she calls her book The Genius of Birds. Um, I would include humans in that also. Absolutely. Well, and yeah, I mean, think about it. Like, you are a very, very book smart person. You have a lot of other types of intelligence as well, though. You've got great social intelligence. <laughs> you you um, are not great with spatial stuff. No. You- <laughs> no. I just discovered Minecraft and my entire project is just building roads so that I don't get lost. Because oh I'm constantly lost. <laughs> Hansel and Gretel yourself through Minecraft yes. with these. Yes, I do, with towers <laughs> separated by roads. I will never play Minecraft, and it's not a dig at the game. It's a dig at the fact that, God love him, Tiernan, the son of one of my husband's buddies, was like five years old, and he comes up to me at a company party, and he's like, you want to play Minecraft with me? And I'm like, well, I don't have a computer here, bud. And he goes, no, we can pretend. So <laughs> he set me to work pretending I was minecrafting where I was I had to use a shovel to dig stuff and so I'm pretty sure I know how to fucking dig a fucking hole you little shit but I didn't make the motion like you do on minecraft so I got a very earnest like five-year-old tutorial on how to look like I was shoveling in minecraft and then he left me in a room 
He left me <laughs> to go get rubies or some bullshit for us. And five minutes later, like, Jason walks in going, what are you doing? And I'm like, obviously, I'm digging. What does it look like? Does it look <laughs> like, like yeah, what is it? going to help or not? Yeah, exactly. So pick up a shovel, in air quotes. <laughs> so fuck Minecraft. Tiernan, you're awesome. But fuck you for leaving me to mine for oh us. God. What the fuck are we talking? Oh, intelligence. intelligence. Yeah, so that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. So I'm thinking of like other animals that I think of as intelligent, right? Yeah. So I think that, you know, an octopus totally. is a good problem solver and yeah. seems to have a good memory. Yeah. There are various birds that are pretty good at the, yeah, like spatial memory yeah. and knowing where to go. Yeah. Like parrots are smart. Elephants are smart. Elephants are smart. Dogs are Chimps smart. Chimps are smart. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) well dogs are really emotionally intelligent cubby does know if we're talking about something stressful she will you know schlep her tired old bones over to us Mm. and put a paw on our knee to say you need to pet a dog now Mm. you're gonna feel better but also every time she farts (laughs) she looks at her butt to see what happened (laughs) who did that (laughs) bailey would bark at his own He's also, I think I've said this on air before, he's Reddit famous because one time, I had to tell the story about one time, he sneezed in the kitchen and his sneezing banged his head on the cabinet. And he looked at that cabinet and then just... (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? You did that, you idiot. You dumb idiot. (laughs) Oh my god. Well, (laughs) by almost any rubric of smart, crows come up as smart. They are intelligent. They are problem solvers. They are extremely socially intelligent and aware. As we know, they can interpret other species' uh, words, languages, intents. Wow. One of the smartest birds in the world. I mean, we all know about Alex, the African gray parrot, who knew like a hundred words and he could distinguish color and type and he was really good at sorting. The first creature, other than humans, observed modifying a tool for adaptive specific use was Betty, who was a new Chalcedonian crow. Different than an American crow, but still in the Corvid family. And what yeah. what she did, Betty had this this uh, wire that was too long, and it was also straightened to get it food. She bent it specifically into a hook and then inserted it to get this piece of food out. Isn't that an Aesop fable also of the crow that figures out to drop rocks into a jug so that the water level oh, rises yeah, and it can drink? Yes. It is. Is it yeah. an Aesop fable, or all I remember is the sour grapes Aesop fable. I think. Let me look up Aesop crow. Aesop. Well, he fables. also did like the cricket One, and the ant. Two. Yeah, the crow three. and the pitcher. It's a thirsty crow that sees a pitcher with only a little water in it, and it's high, and it has a narrow neck, so the crow can't get its head in there, and he picks up little pebbles and drops them in one by one, so the water level rises higher and higher until he can reach it. I would not think to do that. I don't, well, we have hands. We have hands. I don't know if that's, like, scientific, but that, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm coming straight off editing the Bigfoot episode, so I'm like, that's a pretty good <laughs> old evidence of... <laughs> A crow doing a smart thing, and nobody Sounds was like, smart. crows don't do that. Crows don't do that. How could you, Aesop? Just tear <laughs> that one out of the book. 
Horseshit. Horseshit. Oh my god, that's like my dad's most said thing, other than let us go <laughs> among them, is horseshit. And we're burning daylight. We're burning daylight. God, I hate that. <laughs> I hate that you know I hate that. Ugh. Yeah. That's because your dad's a cowboy and my mom's a Jack London yeah, scholar. Yeah, exactly. And that's like the one point in the Venn diagram where they overlap they, is burning daylight. Burning daylight. <laughs> All y'all, how was I woken up every fucking day of fucking high school by my father... 6.30 a.m. Wake up, kids, you're burning daylight. <laughs> okay. Eat a so dick, you said, daddy. Can we double back to the part where crows can learn what we're saying? Yeah, they um, not necessarily us, but like I gave with the chickadee example, right? Oh, 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 okay. They, they are able to interpret other types of language and use it for their own. I hadn't come across anything that suggests that birds know human language, but definitely they can at least understand our intent, or we're pretty sure they can understand our intent through our actions. Wow. We'll talk about that later when we get into some specifics, but just to kind of continue on this, like birds are really effing cool, super weird. They have really rich family dynamics. They mate for life, which is unusual, mm-hmm. present company included. <laughs> they um, are one of the species of birds that has uh, one chick, and then they both parents co-raise the chick, and then they put a lot of time and energy into raising this chick. And that's you absolutely have to read Genius of Birds. It's so cool. It talks about the evolutionary trade-offs of birds having like all their eggs in one basket. Damn it, I was about to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got you. <laughs> yeah, um, if you'd said it I would have been mad, but since I said it it's okay. <laughs> but the evolutionary trade-offs and the and the differences in their brain structure and so birds usually with a higher intelligence, not just genius, but a higher intelligence usually have a longer fledging period, much like humans, like infants, mm-hmm. you know, like we have a very long developmental phase. And when it comes to lifespan, crows have, you know, the baby is born, it's in a nest, both parents take care of it, it fledges, meaning it's got its feathers and it leaves the nest. But for several months afterward, it follows around its parents. You see these all over the place in spring. If you see a real manky looking crow that's kind of goggly eyed and it's going, meh, 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 meh. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's a dumb little teenage crow and it's i was gonna say it, yeah that was me through <laughs> much of college that's what they're doing and the parents know where they are i had to shoo a lady off of a fledged crow this spring actually outside of the museum where she was like i'm gonna call animal control i'm gonna call you dumb somebody has to come take it it's fallen out of its nest and i'm like lady it is perched on a chair it's got wings you need to leave it alone so the parents come back it's yeah, fine leave it be but they're building up their flight muscles they're watching their parents and other crows and seeing how they interact as synanthropes, how they interact with the urban environment in which they live, you know? Mm-hmm. The, what else? They have funerals, which I'm sure you've heard of, crow funerals. Describe that. When a 
crow finds another crow dead on the ground, it sets up an alarm call. And typically what happens is any other crow in the area that hears this comes and observes the dead crow in trees. And after a while, they all fly down and circle the dead crow. They all start walking around it. And sometimes they talk and sometimes they don't. And then one by one, they fly away. Yes. Well, we don't know for why, but we assume it's got many reasons or many possible reasons. One thing that researchers really think uh, they're doing is learning about danger. How, how did he die? Yeah. Why is he dead? Did he do something that I could do? And how do I avoid doing that? Yeah, does he have half a plastic bag sticking out of his yeah. mouth or something? Yeah, exactly. Okay. But they also, crows recognize other crows. So if they look and they say, oh, fuck, Frank's dead, then they know, well, Frank's territory is open. Frank's wife, Melinda, she ain't got a Frank no more. They start knowing, mm-hmm. is there a mate available? Is there new habitat available? So it's kind of like a mix of a funeral and the reading of the will. Yeah. They all kind of gather together and circle around and are thinking about, like, "Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm." did he leave me anything? (laughs) I could could work with this. Yeah, I could work with this. That's fine. We should call more of these hypothetical crows by girl names, too, or call them they or something, too. They. Am I using him a lot? They're not all boys. We both are. Oh, it's just so easy. Like, how I feel guys and dudes just means any group of things. I don't mean it gendered, but you're right. Pointing at your shoes. What are those dudes yeah, doing? Exactly. <laughs> Jason, have you seen my dudes? And he's like, what could you possibly be talking about? Like, you know, my dudes. Have you seen them? My dudes. Duh. God, if you don't know, I can't, I can't crow at you. I don't know how to like intuit what this means. <laughs> Like I said, crows are synanthropes, so they do well around people. They're weird in a couple ways I gave you. Seattle is a really urban environment, so it's perfect for weirdo synanthropes like crows. So we're getting to the part of my story where I want to give you three examples of weird crows in Seattle. Ooh, don't mind if I do. Don't mind if you do. I told you a lot of the story has to do with UW, and the first two parts have to do with UW. UW has a really fantastic crow research department laboratory. I don't know what you want to call it, but one of the one of the best known crow researchers or biologists is a man named John Marsluff. And John is probably where this like public prominence, public or recent public interest in crows came in 2008. He uh, was the subject of a Seattle Times article where Seattle Times was talking about his research at UW and a surprising theory that he tested and then proved to be true, which is crows can recognize individual human faces. I remember when that happened. You remember when that happened, right? And I didn't think it was 2008. I thought this was like 2012. I thought it was recent more recent than, you know, 11 years ago. (laughs) But he had been catching and banding crows on the UW campus, which has a shit ton of crows. Lots and lots of crows. He had been pestering crows. He had been pestering (laughs) crows. And 
he noticed, you know, like crows that had been caught before were wary around humans, but particularly wary around the scientists that had caught them. (laughs) And he's like, okay, well, I mean, that makes sense, but nobody's ever thought, you know, pigeons, we know, recognize individual human faces and parrots recognize individual human faces, but no one had tested that on crows. So what he did was he took two masks. One was a caveman, which he and his team decided would be the dangerous mask. And the other one, in what the Seattle Times says was a deliberate gesture of civic generosity, they used a Dick Cheney mask to be the neutral mask. Okay. They, well, you know, it's it's Seattle Times and it's Seattle. We hated Dick Cheney in 2008 here. But he didn't use yeah. that, you know, as the mean one. It was this weird caveman. Anyway, the researchers wore, and it was several different researchers, male, female, different heights, different sizes, different gaits. They wore the dangerous mask when they trapped and banded a group of crows on campus. And then for the next few months, the same researchers wore the neutral mask as they walked around prescribed paths that went through the areas where the crows had been captured and banded, right? So now crows... God, I'm glad I wasn't a student who <laughs> gotten too high on the UW campus. This parade of scientists with Dick Cheney's face stroll by deliberately, and I'm like, it happens every day at this time. What's, what's he doing here? What's going on? <gasps> What they found was after a few months of, okay, you've got some crows habituated to dangerous mask is bad, and some crows habituated to neutral mask is neutral. When researchers, it didn't matter which researcher, but when researchers wore either one of these masks back into the areas, the neutral folks were largely ignored, and anyone wearing the dangerous mask, the crows freaked the fuck out. They start all of all of them. Yes, and that was another part that just that was another thing we learned from this experiment. Not only did John learn that okay, so they're recognizing the face, not the body shape, not the height, not the type of person they're recognizing the face. What he realized was that for 2 years after when they wore the caveman face on campus Crows all across campus treated that person as a danger. Whoa, so the word spread. Word spread. So the crows were able to somehow, how do you do that? How do you communicate that mask is, you know, that look, that person is danger without the words we're using right now? How do you skip the cross-contamination, though, of... How, how would you model it so that you know the difference between every crow on campus knows this now versus when we brought the mask back out, a crow reacted and the other crows picked it up. And then the next time we brought it out, another crow reacted and the other crows picked it up, you know? I suppose that's a good point. I mean, you you brought me a, a science experiment, so of course I'm picking it apart. I'm also going, how good were these masks? Because... Did they teach that it was like some Mission Impossible shit? Or did they learn to recognize masks? Mm, that's a good point. But what I have to back 
up the thought that it's not masks that they're recognizing, it's faces that they're recognizing, is that researchers had to start using these masks because their actual faces had been recognized and crows were freaking out when those researchers that had caught crows before were walking around with their normal people faces. That's true. I guess I'm also just working through this as somebody who's incredibly terrible with faces and yeah. is frightened when people change their haircuts or get new glasses <laughs> or stuff. I'm like, what, what are the crows using to recognize people? You know, what do they know and not know? Yeah. And what would you get if you just put one of the masks on a stick? What if you just made it a scarecrow? Mm-hmm. You know, would they care about that or would they go, no, that can't get us? Right. And... I'm I'm just this is all very interesting. Right. It's, this is strange. Uh he uh he has published so much research. John Marzaloff has published so much research on this. So you could actually see the scientific process oh, through which I he went. To. I can I'm going to look up the masks though. You totally should. Up. And they um as far as I know they're they're pretty uh fake. They're not like mission impossible. It would I was fool. Say, did he make them on the department printer? Possibly. You never know. I thought they were like Archie McPhee style, you know, exaggerated masks, but I don't know. I've seen what the newest crow research uh, is uh, using. Uh. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> no. <laughs> the ones where they look like skinned peoples? Is that the one you're looking at? Christ on a crutch, this looks like the time that doctor in Florida stole that poor girl's body and made her into a corpse bride. This looks like fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You got a little- Have you looked at this? <laughs> the, the ones that the new researchers are using do look very Leatherface Mike Myers to me. Good God. Yeah, okay. Did Google Crow Mask study right now, everybody, as long as you're not alone in the dark. At least this one woman's holding up a sign that says UW Crow you Study, did. so you're not going like, Jesus, God, what happened? These are really bad. They're really bad. I'm so afraid. The one, okay, so it's the secret life of urban crows where this researcher has crows masks that are better, but... <laughs> The one, it's on washington.edu. Yeah. That one where she looks like <laughs> when Dwight Schrute shaves the yes, face. Yes, the face of the again. I'm looking at the originals. The originals look like they just went to, like, Spirit Halloween. Oh, totally. So I think that's why they chose those. It's yes. probably they were on clearance. <laughs> and it was, like, November 2nd or so. Yeah. My most favorite yeah. day of the year. Yeah, your I most favorite go day. go wild on Spirit. <laughs> but now I'm looking at some other ones where they are walking around. They have... I can't even characterize what these are supposed to... to B, but they're carrying these things that say, UW research, do crows know people? Do not be alarmed. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the more alarming things that you can say to me, actually. Do not be alarmed. (laughs) No, they're still pretty bad. (laughs) They're still (laughs) still pretty bad. (laughs) This is captioned, crow doesn't care that the official bird of Seattle is the great blue heron. (laughs) Yeah, nor should it. Nor should it. <laughs> Screw you, herons. <laughs> oh my god. 
Well, it was it was out of this wonderful research and, you know, his at the time, 20 years of research that John Marzaleff co-authored another book that I am absolutely going to recommend. It's called Gifts of the Crow, How Perception, Emotion and Thought Allow Smart Birds to Behave Like Humans. Oh, okay. So. I have one other thought on the masks, though. Oh, okay. Please As tell I'm me. I'm looking through this, where it says that it, what they can do better than we can is recognize the same mask upside down. Yes. Isn't that weird? So they'll react to a deemed dangerous mask, even if it's upside down. Or wow. even if it's if the person's wearing a hat or a hood. Or uh, I think they also tried sunglasses or something like that. Damn. One thing that you absolutely always notice in Seattle, if you're looking up, is right about sunset, there are huge groups of crows that fly across the sky. Absolute, I mean, they're, they're called murders, but the sky is just a murder fest. It's <laughs> full of these flocks of crows. Sometimes it's just two or three birds. You know, it's a small little family unit. Sometimes it's dozens where these family units have joined up. And they are just all headed off in a vaguely northern direction. And anytime I've been with someone else and we've looked up and noticed these crows flying at sunset, the people have already said, you know, I've always said something like, where where do you think they're going? Where are they headed? Wow, that's unusual. You really think it's strange to see, and it goes on for minutes. I mean, you can you can look up for 10 minutes and just see group after group stream across the sky. And what is not at all unknown to the people who live up in Bothell is that there is a roost in Bothell on the UW Bothell campus which has, I guess, 58 acres of wetland that crows love to roost in. So there is a roost of 16,000 crows. Oh, my God. 16,000 crows come from all around Seattle every single night to sleep in these 58 acres of wetland on the UW Bothell campus. So my my West Side geography isn't great. About mm-hmm. how far away is Bothell as the crow flies? As the crow flies, it's probably six miles from. Okay, wow. So they're really little from, commuters, aren't they? They're very much commuters, and it's it's probably more like community. ten miles. Yeah, the suburbs. But seriously, and they're. I mean, you talk about commuting. They follow I five. To get, if they're downtown, <laughs> you just take I-5 north, and they go straight up to Bothell. So it's... Much uh, faster than anyone who's in a car so on I-5. So much fucking faster. Oh my god, it's the worst. The, um... Yeah, as, as the crow flies, as you said, it's this really cool little direct route, and they come into the city, and they hang out, and they eat all day, And then they go home to this giant roost, and the trees protect them from predators, which would be owls and hawks and raccoons, and they sleep there at night. And I learned from John, from an article that John was interviewed for, there is a hierarchy to roosting. If you are a a well-to-do crow, you sleep on the top layer. 
If you are a young crow, you sleep three stories down. And so that means it's a poop issue. Okay. It's a big, gross poop issue. But the fact that all of them are together means that they are much more likely to be able to warn each other of predators. And they also get crow news that way. You know, they all talk to each other. So they all learn things. Um, I have not gone up to see the crow roost. I've seen smaller, um, I forget what they're called, but it's like little groups will congregate, I guess, before. So like a whole bunch of crows from an area will decide that they join up in one space before they all fly to the roost together. Oh, they're carpooling. They're carpooling, Liz. They can use the HOV lane. They're checking in. They're like, what do you do today? Oh, I found a hamburger. I took the pickles (laughs) off it. Frank over there, he tripped on a twig. He got real yeah. mad about it. It was hilarious. <laughs> this gorgeous lady saw it. She saw the whole thing. Oh, my. <laughs> I'm happy to know that I'm beautiful, even by crow standards. <laughs> I'm okay so, with that. So what you're telling me is that Seattle yeah. is too expensive for even crows to live in at this point. They're out in the burbs, man. Yeah. They're in undeveloped land. Out in the fucking boonies in the sticks, literally having to sleep out there, getting pooped on by their friends. It was terrible. What a city we live in. One of the most well-known stories about crows in Seattle actually started in 2011. And this is before the media gets wind of it, because this is before there is anything to get wind of. It's little Gabby Mann, who's four years old. She'll get out of her car once they come home from somewhere and, like, chicken nuggets or Cheerios or whatever bullshit's on her lap falls onto the ground. And the local crows will swoop in and gobble it up. And Gabby loves this. Her mom says she was just enthralled with it. (laughs) So then Gabby starts going to school and... Because Gabby's enthralled with it, you know, she'll bust out her lunch and she'll toss a couple scraps from lunch to these crows on her way to the bus. And then, of course, because she's Gabby, she makes sure she saves maybe a little bit of food from her lunch so that when she comes home on the bus, she can continue to feed the crows. Yeah, the home crows. The home crows, the ones living on her turf. And in 2013... Uh, that's when, you know, she and her, her her parents, the Mann family, they thought, well, let's, you know, feed them on the daily. We've got a bird bath. Bird feeders are a thing. So they put out a little platform, you know. and they That's p- how Gene Keen got started. You really got to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just a harmful handful of, uh, harmful, it's just a harmless handful of peanuts. Like how many eagles <sighs> can you feed? 2013, the family starts feeding crows on the regular. They've got that little platform out there that they sprinkle some peanuts on. And it's when this platform shows up and Gabby's got a regular routine. You know, she goes out and makes sure that they've got bird food every day. The gifts start appearing on this platform. (laughs) And they can be anything as long as they are shiny and small enough to be carried in a crow beak. So what Gabby and her family start to find are bits of glass and broken jewelry and polished rocks and little bits of tinfoil or tinsel. Anything that a crow or a magpie would think was really cool, these crows start leaving 
in as far as anyone can tell, in exchange for the food. Wow. These are all items, by the way, that they would bring their own mates. So Why do they like shiny stuff so much? I don't know why they like shiny stuff so much. But it seems that glittery seems to very much attract them. But they also, I mean, they brought her gross stuff, too. They'd bring her, like, dead baby birds and crab <laughs> claws. And like I said, things you'd bring your mate. Like, look, honey, mm-hmm. I brought you dinner. Look, honey, I got you jewelry. <laughs> and then I guess one time Gabby's mom was uh, out in their alleyway photographing a bald eagle. The house is mm-hmm. in Portage mm-hmm. Bay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. just like you said, it's Jean Keen all over again, Gabby's mom. This is a slippery slope. But I guess she dropped her lens cap and didn't find where she dropped it. The next day, the lens cap is on the platform. Hells yes. Hells yes. She's got I a little... Love this little witch. Well, I know, right? Well, the media got wind of it in early 2015. They loved it. This was one of those, like, went super viral. The BBC's reporting on it. Seattle, I mean, it of course started with local press, but then got picked up by these national outlets. Widespread crow interest was sparked because of this... Professor John Marzaloff's stuff became even more important. He talked about these gifts the crows were leaving Gabby and her family. It was super touching, very feel-good. Everyone was happy, right? As I recall, too, part of what made it so appealing is that someone at some point laid out a bunch of the gifts on a, a nice background. Yes. Which made it look very artistic. Yes, it looks very artistic. And Gabby was, she wasn't into it for necessarily like the display she was very scientific she everything that she got she collected put in a little baggie labeled um the the time it was collected and if it was after like a particular feeding you know um so she's got this beautiful little like you know tackle box full of all of her treasures arranged chronologically in order of gift giving wow my, my, like, everyone was happy, right, is super mm-hmm. rhetorical because not everyone was super happy. It, Somebody's always got to be the screen door in the submarine. The screen door in the submarine the, were two neighbors. Like I said, this is Portage Bay, which, if you don't know Seattle, I don't blame you. I wouldn't know where Portage Bay was if I didn't live in Seattle, but it is an upscale neighborhood. These are... Not it's not the extreme wealthy, but these were several million dollar homes, or at least million dollar homes back before million dollar was the base price mm-hmm. for homes in Seattle. These are quite nice, classy folks. And as I said, it didn't take long. It was August of the same year when two neighbors filed suit against the Mann family with regard to feeding the crows, and they alleged property damage and emotional distress. Claimed to be, quote, trapped living inside an Alfred Hitchcock horror movie. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. They said that the mans feeding these crows attracted swarms of crows, giant flocks of crows, that they had a large-scale feeding operation, that they were hiring employees to go out and feed the crows, that the birds had damaged property, by pooping on everything, and that the feeding was attracting other wildlife, including seagulls, pigeons, raccoons, too many squirrels, rats. Yeah, I mean, 
I'm I'm not finding any specific piece of this beyond the Hitchcock thing that I'm like, that could never happen. But I'm also like, did you talk to them or did you just start with a lawsuit? The thing is, I really want to dislike these two neighbors, but they did apparently talk to the family and then tried all levels of local government to try to get the feeding scaled down or stopped before they filed a lawsuit. And they were suing for $200,000, which is a lot to me. I don't know if it was a lot to them. You figure split between two people, $100,000 is maybe not tons of money to people living in $2 million homes, million-dollar homes. Yeah, minus legal fees, too. Minus legal fees, which for litigation is 30%. So, I don't know. But, and I haven't seen photos of what it looked like when the two plaintiffs were suing. So I don't know whose side I'm really on. I feel like they're just total killjoys. The man certainly said that they were killjoys, that they were seeking a windfall after Gabby's internet fame, and they felt that the two plaintiffs were being classist. They said that the plaintiffs felt that bird feeding was not sophisticated or classy enough for their Tony neighborhood. I don't know what a Tony neighborhood is, but that was a Mm -hmm. quote. They also said, the mans also said, that they were subject of intimidation from the neighbors and that uh, Matt Yoken had hanged a dead crow, or I suppose he had hung a dead crow off his third floor balcony and yelled at the kids when they were feeding the animals. Gabby's got a little brother. And had intimidated them, you know, for their sweet little bird feeding operation. I mean, I know what's happening in Act 3 of this horror movie. It's not going to work out well for the neighbors. (laughs) It's not going to work out well for the neighbors. Go check your attic. (laughs) Yeah. They're, oh my god, they're, they're just... I mean, Gabby's going to come out one day and her neighbors are gone and she just has like two wedding rings on the feeding tray (laughs) as offerings. The solution to this problem is in the problem. It's in the problem itself. That's such a good twist. Oh, Gabby. I hope you like those rings. I'm, yeah, I have a hard time figuring out whose side to take on that because on the one hand i could easily see that being incredibly disruptive and annoying yes especially if you know you want to be in your backyard and you can't go out without being pooped on by a bird or every day you go out to your car and there's more crow poop yes and it's you know you can't leave the uh, yeah i I could see that being very unpleasant yeah but i don't have a sense of how best that could have been. Handled. How best I mean, that could have been. I would have yeah. told them to move. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I right. also understand that's not, you know, the most straightforward thing in the world. Right. People shouldn't have to move just because they don't like what their neighbors are doing. But right. I don't know. I will say that there does seem to be, mm, having lived in many different kinds of neighborhoods, I think there is a high income expectation that we are all in our little pots we're all on our own little prince style planet yes and no one will touch us or 
let us, we won't hear them, we won't see them, we won't smell them, we won't know that anyone else exists in the world but us. Yeah. And that's how it's going to be. And it's in the, like, in the neighborhood I live in now, it's much more like, yeah, I can hear your dogs, and I can hear your kids, and we can see, you know, it's, it's, (laughs) this happened Sunday, a guy was walking by, we were in the backyard with a chicken, and he walked by, and he was tall, he had his bike, and he looked over, and he kind of sized us up, and he asked if he could have a beer. Now, we were not drinking beer, but he just asked if we if he could have a beer. And Matt and I kind of looked at each other, and I was like, okay. So I went into the kitchen, come back out, and I'm holding two cans. And I said, do you want IPA or porter? And he says, both. And I go, okay. Um, of course. I hand them over to Matt. He hands them to the guy, who then says, off to work, and cycles away. I don't I don't know if he was a crowdsourced bartender or what. And of course, in the middle of all of this, Liv is running up to the fence going, my name is Lydia. Oh my God. Because, you know, you, oh my God. your friends, family, princesses, <sighs> no, not going to trust him, not going to hang out. Any dude with less than a full complement of teeth and no fixed address <laughs> is her favorite since she's been a baby. I would be at the downtown Durham library and she would just like sprint off and go like try to snuggle some poor dude who's just trying to sleep and get warm. And I'm like, Lydia, (laughs) done a rest. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Oh my God. Nobody needs your little chunk of monk baby ass tackling them. No, no, you're fine. Yeah. And yeah, then, then he rode away. Out I, of our lives, two beers richer. Two years, two beers richer. I I don't know if you're a sucker or a saint, my love. Well, here's the line that I draw: is that he gets to do that once. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you beer once for the sheer audacity. Of yes, just l- l- loping your lanky ass past my fence, sticking your head over, and asking for a beer. Yeah. And then, off to work. Off to work. But this is not, like, now our new arrangement. No, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> that was, was worth the story. Oh, but yeah, in my in my experience, the higher tax bracket somebody yeah. is, the more finicky they are yeah. about basic, like, sorry, I exist and I live yeah, yeah. things. And so I'm predisposed to dislike the neighbors, mm-hmm. but I also... Uh, I can see how it would be very unpleasant. I can, and especially yeah. when it's something you deal with day in, day out, that yeah. kind of thing is just really the, the pebble in your shoe. And yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think the, the Matt oh, well. guy's a total jackass for yelling at kids and yeah. for hanging a dead crow off his balcony, which we do know he did because they have photos of it. Yeah. But uh, I also understand how you can be very frustrated, like you said. And I, I, Linda Lynn Haupt was reached out to by the Seattle Times or The Stranger. I don't remember what this quote is from, but Linda Lynn Haupt is one of my favorite authors. She's a Seattle woman, and she's written both The Urban Bestiary and Crow Planet, among others that I haven't read, but I've got these two, and they're beloved books. Absolutely, totally read them. And if you'll bear with me, I've got two paragraphs to read you about her response to this whole thing. And it was her response that really measured my, like, fuck those neighbors. They're awful. They're terrible. They're just letting this little girl, like, have a magic moment and destroying it. She says, 
I think that many people long for a sense of connection with wild animals. This story served up as evidence of such a possibility, and it did capture everyone's imagination. Plus, let's face it, that little girl is cute as pie. No wonder social media went crazy. Did the crow really bring gifts to the girl? Some crows do gather shiny bits of this and that. Gum wrappers, thumbtacks, shells, foil, bright red berries, and cash them in one place. Little collections of treasure. I can see how this action could be interpreted as bringing the gifts to the girl with the food, and there is little harm in imagining this to be so. That said, there is no reason to be feeding crows. They are already flourishing under the urban environment, and the neighbors are right. The amount of food it takes to bring in that many crows can make a mess and invite even more problematic urban wildlife. The neighbors are freaking out a bit. It's not the birds, no one is going to get sick, and hanging, a dead pro- and hanging dead crows on your porch, legal or not, to deter the neighbors and the crow visitors is just creepy. But lots of crows and pigeons and food and mess? I agree, not good. Loud and annoying. And not in line with a deeper understanding of what helps and what harms urban wildlife. To live well alongside urban wildlife and our human neighbors. Keep cat and dog food inside. Close up entrance holes to keep animals from entering to shelter or nest. And if you do feed birds, just small feeders for small birds. Clean scrupulously and gather the seeds that fall beneath daily. Even better would be to plant native trees and shrubs with seeds and berries that local birds love. I think it is a beautiful privilege to live alongside wild creatures close to home. But we need to do it with some grace and some wisdom. Well, dang, yeah. Right? I was just like, uh, oh, I guess I won't start feeding crows peanuts. That's a lot of very good points. Well, this falls completely under the Gene Keen rule, which is that we're not saying to start doing it. Yes, we're not saying that. (laughs) I wonder if the neighbors would have felt better if there had been some sort of plan to sundown the program. If it was (laughs) like... You know, okay, yes, it's been fun. It's getting away from us. Uh, Here, you know, over the next year, we're going to taper it off. Mm -hmm. Would they feel better about that? How did the lawsuit actually resolve? The lawsuit was dismissed when the mans said that they would abide by the court order, which required that the mans provide no more than four ounces of food to animals per day. And they couldn't leave out peanuts or other foods that are common allergens and Hmm. were barred from putting food on sidewalks or street and were also barred from yelling or using pots, pans, and other instruments to scare away natural predators of crows. Had that been happening, I would not be a fan either. I would not be a fan of that either. I don't think that came out of nowhere. No, I don't think that came out of nowhere either. And they are under this court order obligation for eight years. So, Hmm. I think that's honestly pretty reasonable. I don't know what an ounce is. I couldn't tell you what a pound is. I can't tell you how long two feet is. But four ounces of food seems like bird feeder amount to me. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And at first I was like, no allergens? Fuck you. That's so stupid. Oh my god. It's in their backyard. Let them have peanuts if they want. And then when I read another article talking about the allergens, I guess there were kids in the neighborhood that had peanut allergies. And because the crows pick up peanuts and then take them away 
you know, the shells were in other people's yards. Yeah. So oh, that sounds very messy. Right. Too. Yeah. That wasn't something I had considered and was definitely one of my like, oh, my God, I hate it. And then read it again and was like, oh, if by my small act of consideration, I can make somebody else's life easier. Why wouldn't I do that? Yeah. For what it's worth, four ounces is about like half a cup, depending on how heavy the stuff is. So like, that's not very much at all. Double handful, maybe for her. All right. I mean, that's yeah, a, but for every day, but for every day, that's fine. And if you're doing something like sunflower seeds, which maybe aren't great for crows, but they're awesome for other native wildlife, uh, other native yeah. birds, that's fine. I think this would have been a good thing for her parents to help her think about how to redirect. Yeah. In mm-hmm. a, because I, I think your author makes a really good point that you don't need to feed crows right and that feeding them this diet it kind of makes me think of feeding ducks at the park totally. or something, you know or feeding bears if you're yeah. timothy treadwell or whatnot like <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, this you're you're there's synthropic and then there is too dependent mm-hmm. and i wonder if it would have been better to say you know okay honey we know you love the crows you know can we get you some chickens can we get you some you know uh, some indoor birds you know how i feel about indoor birds but yes you know can can we channel this to something where you still get to have a connection with animals and even specifically birds if it's something that's important to you but they're not so intrusive to everybody yeah and we're not we're doing it in a way that's more controlled and beneficial Yeah, or can you keep doing what you're doing, but just scale it down. Put out a handful of peanuts every day. It's not like the the supply is less than the demand, sure, because if you had 400 crows there at the ready, five peanuts won't feed them. But if you only ever put out a handful at a time, it's not like the crow population is going to explode on that and then demand more. They'll just go away to where there's other food. I wonder how they felt about it as well mm-hmm. at that point after a couple of years. Because remember with Jean, you know, it was relentless. She couldn't go on vacation. She couldn't right. take time off. She had to do it all the time because right. otherwise there'd be a tremendous amount of hungry eagles roaming around, you know, right. snatching your pets up. Yeah, eating up the so, neighborhood kittens. Yeah. So I wonder if that had a component as well of, you know, the, it's out of hand and how, what do you do? How do you back off that how do you how do you get out of this if you give a mouse a cookie situation oh my gosh totally absolutely yeah, i mean the neighbors sound like they were unnecessarily aggressive about it yeah and and i also being the you know the, the person who's always looking at a situation like this from how it's going to look from the perspective of how it's going to look to other people mm-hmm. i'm also like cool you guys are the bad neighbors who picked on the little crow girl this is gonna be a super good look for you yeah this is definitely what you want coming up in your google hits yeah when people get to know you and try to figure out who you are is you're the person who wouldn't let the little girl have her crows Uh you're gonna be played by i'm gonna say Catherine o'hara and hmm i don't know who's gonna play the guy 
but you're not going to come off well. You're definitely not going to come off well in the movie of this. No, you're you're not going to be portrayed sympathetically. You're probably going to be portrayed slipping on something and falling in a comical manner. <laughs> you may or may not get, get a pie to the face. Yeah. Do you have a trash can? <laughs> Do you have an athletic cup? Because yeah. <laughs> I think you should wear it. I'm just warning you. Just warning you. <sighs> well, okay. Huh. Thank you for letting I hope me. She does sh- something oh. with that. I hope she does something with that as she gets older. I hope if that's something that she's still really excited about, that maybe since she lives in the area, she'll get to work with that cool crow research yeah, program. She'll get to work with John or she'll work for Woodland Park Zoo or mm-hmm. like you. I hope she continues that. I hope that the process hasn't deterred Gabby from being both generous and considerate and scientific and curious. Mm-hmm. I think those are all wonderful qualities to foster in kids. Yeah. Thank you for letting me share my crow stories with you. I think it's fantastic. When you said you were going to do this, I was so excited because you were kind of not sure if it was going to fit because it's not a cryptid, but right. it's, we've got some very specific Northwestern tales that make it very unique. And you've really convinced me that they're a very interesting creature. And I've always, I've always kind of, I'll admit, I, I have thought they were not as exciting as ravens. And yeah. I, maybe it was just sort of a grass is greener on the other side thing, you know, because I haven't seen ravens very much. Yeah. And you see crows all the time. But I think I have a bigger understanding and appreciation of crows now. I definitely also get that, like, I think ravens are sexy. I think ravens are that kind of, like you said, you don't see them as often and they're bigger and they're more mysterious and they feature so heavily in folklore across the world. And Mm -hmm. crows are just a little bit like, oh, okay, you're, you know, you're the not quite as sexy, captivating bird when held up to a raven. I totally Mm -hmm. do get that. But especially after reading about them in Linda's books and the others that I've mentioned, like, they're just, they're just cool, dude. They're just cool. And they're so approachable. I mean, physically, actually tangible because we live around them. You can learn so much from them. And I really genuinely don't think that their commonness, like I said, makes them unworthy of consideration or unworthy of the label is of weird. I've often thought that about pigeons, that if they weren't so common, we would really appreciate more how beautiful they are. they're beautiful, and they're so smart, and Liz, they recognize faces, and they make milk, and they're they're one of the birds that are so intelligent when you consider, not smarts, because they're dumb as fuck, but when you consider their ability to home, which we still don't fully understand, they're so cool. One thing I've always appreciated about pigeons as well is of any creatures I see out in the world, they seem to be the most able to get along while being, like, severely busted up. Totally. Or, like, missing major components of themselves. Right? right? And you're like, you've got no feathers on your whole neck and you have one foot. <laughs> How, How, you're you're do, doing okay. But you're still just walking around going... Bobbing your little head to pull off that parallax shift so you can tell how far apart and far away things are. Exactly. I 
love it. They were one of my favorite parts about working in downtown Boston. Aww. Yeah. Well, so ravens can talk. Can crows talk? Has a crow ever talked? And if not, is it why? Is it why? I was going to say, is it like a morphological difference? Or is it... Well, What's the deal? That's a good question. And they talk about that a little bit in The Genius of Birds, I think. I'm reading some of these concurrently, so I'm a little muddled on who said what. But I think it's in The Genius of Birds where they're talking about language is hard and a crow can talk. So a crow has the vocal cords, the palate, the tongue, the structure of the mouth to repeat like a parrot a human word. Crows mm-hmm. don't have that. Songbirds don't have that. So no, are they ever right. going to be able to talk human words? No. They were taught the uh but in this book specifically they were saying that about elephants. Like just because an elephant can't mimic mm-hmm. human speech because of the way that their whole everything fits together in their mouth doesn't mean that they can't communicate. And it doesn't mean okay. it's a lack of understanding and it does I mean it doesn't doesn't mean that it is understanding, but you can't you can't say that because they can't speak our language doesn't mean they can't understand our language or learn our language. That's a very good point. I guess I'm just always curious about animals that mimic human speech mm-hmm. and the stuff that they pick up. I've seen some YouTube videos of ravens and it's it's really interesting that's my pro tip as to who you should follow on twitter uh and you can get there from our twitter because we definitely follow him as mm-hmm. the raven keeper at the tower of london oh. yeah do you know the whole story with that oh tell me i want to hear it from your lips so the tower of london very very old castle complex in london of course uh the central tower going back to the time of about william the conqueror as far as i understand it Mm -hmm. and then other buildings later famous through you know all all kinds of historical events in that place but there is a legend that if the ravens ever leave the tower of london england will fall Mm -hmm. or britain will fall i'm unclear now i don't know, but I suspect that one of the reasons why the Ravens hang out at the Tower of London that much in the first place is because of all the heads they used to put up <laughs> on spikes and stuff. It's so gruesome. I can't imagine that wasn't appealing. But in order to avoid this potential calamity, mm-hmm. the Tower of London has an official Raven Keeper, and mm-hmm. they always maintain like a a quorum of ravens. Mm-hmm. And I, I I don't know, I've seen them when I've been there. I've never heard one talk in person. I've seen yeah. them talk on the videos. They're really they're really cute with him. They're kinda like sassy little jerks who yeah he kind of works for them yeah rather than like looking after them yeah like they they they're kind of like they give off this vibe like he's working in a very strange nursing home yeah with like really sassy full of attitude little old people yeah. who are just like yeah. yeah you took long enough come here yeah what are yeah. you doing yeah what's your phone it's, give it to me i'm gonna hold it i'm gonna hold it i want that they remind me of like asshole little dogs you know, yeah. where you're just like, oh, you yeah. fucking princess, you little dipshit. I don't work for you. <laughs> oh, wait, I totally work for you. Do they, will they take his phone? Will they play with his stuff? They'll take all his stuff. Oh I mean, God. there's a lot of shiny stuff yeah. to enjoy at the Tower of London. Uh, <laughs> there's all the tourists and all yeah. the people in their fancy outfits. Yeah. And, 
Okay, oh, so let's dream see. Job. As of today, there are seven. There's Jubilee, Harris, Grip, Rocky, Aaron, Poppy, and Marlena. Oh my okay. goodness. And then, oh. Oh, wow. Sure. So until, if you're in the area, I know some of you live over on that side, until November 30th of this year, the Yeoman Warder, who does the Raven management, will be doing talks because oh. this year... There's four new raven chicks, the first ones that were hatched at the tower for 30 years. Wow. Why haven't they been laying at the tower? Oh, that's so surprising. I don't know. Maybe they get them from somewhere else. Oh, my goodness. I don't know enough about... I don't know enough about No, this is so far away from our home turf. But I'm just so sad that (gasps) I'm just... I, I'll never have a job title as cool no. as Raven Master. No, I'm sorry, bud. Huh? I'm sorry. I wish I was a raven. <laughs> Not a raven master. You want to be a raven. With like a cool little jaunty, colorful band on my feet. <laughs> that was a thing that I saw when I was slipping through the the crow pictures is this crow who was clearly like was being held i was kind of on his back and it had his little feet up and it had two bands on yeah. each ankle and it had his mouth open and i think what it was communicating is fuck you stop doing this <laughs> but what it looked like is it was going look, yay look at my look, fancy britches uh, look at these <laughs> those, are, those are his friendship bracelets yes oh. did you see that with um Gabby, that they brought her a best. A best. Yes, and one of the (laughs) things she said in an interview was that, I wonder if they have the part that says friend, and then she giggled. (laughs) Isn't that sweet? (laughs) Yes. Oh, well, this this will lend a whole new layer when I'm out there tomorrow morning listening to the crow report yes and after you hear this on whichever podcast catcher of your choice you're listening to it on I hope you come join us on Facebook and find the post where we say hey this is what's up tell us your crow stories yes please tell us your crow stories maybe we'll even get to read some yes that'd be be amazing I would love to hear people's crow stories that makes me so happy I'll hear about any wildlife encounter but this is so appropriate so one time when I was at Reed Mm -hmm. I was walking along the main lawn and I counted 114 crows good gathered together that was a lot so you called a, a group of crows as a murder you called that group of ravens a quorum I've also well, that was just me implying that they, they have to have at least six. Oh, gotcha. I was going to say, because yeah. I had heard a group of ravens was called an unkindness. Okay. Isn't that a sure. beautiful thing, though? An unkindness of ravens. I don't know. Do they deserve it, though? I don't know. What, but why, I just, why did these birds, you were talking about crows being our dark shadow or whatever. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's the other way around. I think they have their shit together much more than we do. <laughs> I just mean it because of the color, Liz. I mean, except for the getting pooped on if you're not important enough. Wait, no, we have that also. Um, Also, I got pooped on by a crow last week, and it was not white, and it was not cool. I was not into it, but apparently in a lot of cultures, it's good luck. So I'm waiting for... Well, it didn't get your ice cream is the important thing. How did you know that? 
Because you told the story on the last oh. episode. <laughs> and I just listened to that episode like seven times. I, I know you better than you I know seriously you. went wall-wide for a minute and I'm like, are you a fucking wizard? <laughs> How do you know this? Jesus. Yes, because for once, I'm the person who's in the past in that conversation and can surprise you. Versus usually when people are like, oh my god, that movie. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> past Liz said that. She's a stranger to me. She's a stranger and an enigma. <laughs> uh, yeah, tell us your crow stories. Please tell us your crow stories. Do you want me yeah, to come to Twitter, come to Instagram. Mm-hmm. I We haven't had any new patrons for a while. I appreciate the patrons that we've got. There are way more of you than I realized That's... until I said I was going to send you all postcards. You and all got I postcards. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's a lot of work, isn't it, bud? <laughs> well, I also made my own life more difficult because I didn't get enough postcards in Wallace. So I took a bunch of Spokane postcards I had and I like painted like little sea monsters and shit on them. And They were wonderful. Uh, Seeing the drafts (laughs) that Liz sent me, the in-progress work, you're going to love them. I was having a lot of fun with that. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, so that's cool. But if you would love to hear your name in the beginning of the podcast when we thank new patrons, feel free to to join us on patreon.com slash Ouijabrods. Or, heck, if you want to up your level, we can give you another shout-out. Oh, we can give you another shout-out. Don't you worry about it. And I've got things cooking up for Christmas I wanted to send you all Halloween gifts, but I think we're going to save them for a very traditional time of the year for gift giving and send a little something special out to all of our patrons come Christmas time. Wow. Well, Devin wanted to know if we should do a Halloween thing, and I said every day is Halloween. She's absolutely right, and I feel chagrined and shamed that I didn't know that myself. Well, I understand why you would think that that was not my policy, because I'm very strict about the Halloween and Christmas creep. You. I will not start decorating until the first day of the month. Miser! And then I go hard. Oh my god, <laughs> you guys. She chokes up on those reins and then all of a sudden gives you your head and you're just confused. You are just a pony that doesn't know if it actually gets to run or not. And then by the time you realize you can run, she puts you back in the stable. That's what you get. It's what's good for you. Don't question me. <laughs> I know know we're heading into Halloween, which is always a little bit of a busy time for us because, you know, we've got the spooky brand and I love it. And I'm not a Grinch about Halloween. I just love it so much that I, I, I don't want to just like sort of sidle into it starting in late August. I want to just anticipate and then jump in and, and have it close over my head like a tar pit. So. find that wonderful. I I did recently read on some, you know, like Better Your Own Life. Uh, I didn't read it. I heard on some Better Your Own Life YouTube channel that I follow that anticipation is like 30% of the enjoyment of an activity. So the more you yeah. can anticipate it, and you really do, you have made me jerk my own reins here. That's not how I wanted that to sound, but you made me very <laughs> specifically consider. <laughs> it made you jerk your own reins yeah. and I watched. Yeah, and you watched, you creep. <laughs> you made me specifically consider, like, okay, I will wait until October 1st to decorate because that lets me anticipate it. Yeah, and in fairness 
two things. First of all, if your joy is doing Halloween way sooner, go for it. I'm not telling you how to live your life. I'm just telling you what I do and why that's why I enjoy it better. Number two, it's also like about 7 to 14% Halloween all the time around here uh, yeah. anyway. Yeah. So oh. I think that's my, my dichotomy is there's like hardcore, you know, the... We, when we were, like, meeting people last year, they were like, oh, you live around here? We're like, yeah, we're the corner house that went really hard on Halloween. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was no one living in this house, and then all of a sudden, the Spirit Halloween store appeared. Yeah, that was Hells us. yes. Yeah, but also, you know, I've got the the St. James Infirmary uh, jazz band poster behind me, and I've got your Beware of Ghosts thing you gave me. Yes. You know, I'm not saying never touch this stuff. I'm I'm just, you know, I get off on being withholding. You get you off know, on being withholding? <laughs> Look at me. One thing we should say is a wonderfully effusive thank you shout out to John Austin, who's a Spokane-based photographer who took yeah. our press packet photos recently and who is responsible for Liz letting up on jerking her own reins here just a bit <laughs> because we had to pull out a bunch of her Halloween decorations for these photos and since these decorations are still strewn all over your house from our photo shoot, you might start incorporating them a little bit early. So, John, yeah. thank you for giving us these gorgeous photos that we can't wait to share with folks on social and also thank you for allowing liz to let her hair down just a bit about halloween decorations yeah. early john was very fun to work with we highly <laughs> recommend go look up yeah. austin space like lost in space but his last name That's is so austin clever. i know i love it go look up austin space photography he, we are not the only beautiful women he photographs. He photographs many a beautiful woman, several of whom are my friends. And even knowing how beautiful they are in person, I'm looking at these pictures going, damn. So, right? check it out. Are you going to dress up for Halloween this year? Yes. I haven't decided how or what. But I'm going to huh. do it even though I will likely be... So, okay, I work for the Nordic Museum. What happens at the end of October, beginning of November in Ballard is something called the Tompty Trail. Tompty, also known as a Nisi, I don't know how to say it, but it's a Scandinavian elf that is kind of like one of Santa, you know, like the fucking I hate them, the elf on the shelf shit that we do here in America. A Tompty's adorable yeah. little David the Gnome kind of dude who's like a Santa's helper who's kind of like looking out. And so in Ballard, a bunch of businesses get together and they do the Tompty Trail so kids can go around all these businesses all month long in November to find Tompties at businesses, get a stamp on their Tompty Trail passport, and then in December at a Christmas thing, Christmas kickoff thing, they get to like be entered for a prize. What happens on October 31st is that our development team dresses out like dresses up like Tompties and hands out candy canes to kids. So it's this offends me yeah, to the core to the, of my soul. Right? To the very quick of your being. And you so do not Christmas on Halloween. We're gonna Christmas on Halloween and I the think the gods hold the line. <laughs> God damn it. I think 
I think I'm being pulled in to be an elf on Halloween and handing out candy canes to the most confused little trick-or-treaters there ever were. Well, I mean, it's been fun being friends with you. Yeah. And I wish you well we had a good run. future pursuits. We had a good yeah. run. Can we remain friends right up until the 31st? Can I, <laughs> can I get, you know, can I buy indulgences? trick-or-treating kid <laughs> and you roll up and some punk gives you a fucking candy cane some punk ass bitch hands you a christmas candy and says happy jewel fest child <laughs> that's german sure. i don't know what i'm saying in an accent but yeah basically this is what we're gonna do oh i love the idea of it Ooh. i hate the day that it is starting upon so i yeah i don't know i think this year i'm gonna go classic i was a witch for five halloweens in a row as a child and i think i'm just gonna go back to it i think i'm gonna embrace it i do dress like your witch look choices well i mean what it means is that i have to get a really cool black dress and some stripy stockings and some toey pointy toed shoes and i'm gonna make myself a really cool hat out of wool felt because i made my brother a really cool gandalf hat out of wool felt and i think the principle is the same i just gotta make it stick upright yeah i think that makes sense what about you? What are you dressing up as? Uh, I, I, I'm dressing up as the person who's going to come through your workplace <laughs> and rip all the elf costumes off people. Snatch it right off our heads. All the <sighs> yeah. Well, you've got the little David the gnome hats, which I could just make into a witch hat. And if I'm wearing a beard, so what? Gender bending is something that you and I both know and love. Last year, I was Winifred Sanderson yes. from Hocus Pocus, and that was pretty fun, and I still have that. That photo of you and Selena and Desiree as the Sanderson sisters is on my altar in the Badass Babe section. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I wish I blocked my brows better, but I, you know, I'd spend God, all day cleaning so the house and setting shit up. Oh, the brows are <laughs> atrocious in that. Oh, God, I'd be ashamed. <laughs> Folks, the only thing we have left to say is, I think you know it, but we hope that you live weird. Die weird. And stay weird. Thank you for listening. Caw-caw! <laughs> <laughs>